and welcome to The Intersection of Things, a podcast about technology and how it's changing our lives from an intersectional feminist perspective. I am Marianela Ramos-Capello. And I'm Ruth Kustik-Deal. And we're broadcasting live, actually not, from the internet, from Vancouver and London. And what's up, Ruth? Hey, so this episode we're going to be talking about the concept of ancestry and all sorts of tech internet stories relating to that. Yeah, basically put a little bit of spit on a little vessel and send it somewhere we're gonna... Actually, we're not gonna do anything. So why are we talking about ancestry and DNA and how does this relate with tech? Well, basically, I've noticed that a lot of companies and researchers are claiming that through technology, they can tell us something new about ourselves and our families. And there's a lot of science about... Sorry. I want to put the word science in quotation marks. It's hard to do audio-wise. So-called science from the 1800s that's been debunked and is coming back and being treated as though this time it could be right rather than racist. I'm talking about concepts like that you can tell who a person is from the shape of their face, like understand if they're going to commit crimes or, you know, the shape of their head will tell you if they're gay or not. More on that later. Well, we can also talk about how... DNA is basically another form of data, a data that's derived from our bodies. And uh, in the new age of like biometrics, which is basically using your body measurements and unique quote-unquote identifiers as a basis of digital identity, a digital security, well, you have a lot of companies kind of dealing with this data, and that can be problematic. And of course, you also have government trying to, to do the same. So there's a lot of power here which is right up our alley. But okay, case study, what's up? Yeah, so I think before we talk about this whole modern DNA testing and how people's genes are being exploited potentially and, you know, a little bit of the framework that is why I'm a little suspicious about all of these companies. And it's the story of Henrietta Lacks, Henrietta Lacks is the name behind Hella Cells, which you may or may not have heard of. Honestly, it's something pretty new to me because I don't have a science background. Um, but she was a woman who was born in the 1920s in the US. Um, she was a black woman. Yeah, key fact. She was uh, black African-American, woman. yeah. Yes. And in the 1950s, she had cervical cancer. And the doctor who was treating her took a sample of her cells you know, to do testing and so forth. But he found that her cells were continuing to multiply outside of her body. And these cells having this property meant that they could be used for all sorts of research and experiments. Um, Scientists call it the immortal cell line. And these cells have been used in creating the vaccine for polio, in understanding chemotherapy, in developing IVF treatments. These cells have been used in almost every medical breakthrough since the 1950s. However... Plot twist. Like, this all sounds fantastic, Ruth. What is the problem? (laughs) Yeah, the problem is that these were taken and all this research was done without her permission. And Mm. none of the money that was made from all of these research and discoveries went to her family. In fact, her family wasn't notified about the use of these cells until the 1970s. Mm Mm-hmm. And then more recently, I think there was um, another, I don't want to say controversy because it's a little bit more serious than that. I think it was 2013 when uh, whoever manages the Hella cells right now published the DNA sequencing of the cells, 
without again the permission of the family and uh and i think one of the key things there was like the family basically said hey like this is also our dna there's a lot of our personal family information being you know shared with the public and we were not even consulted about this they said so and that's as recent as 2013 so this is still ongoing yeah and there's still a lucrative business model like you can buy these cells $174 for a tube of these cells intense and also a key thing to mention here is that at the time this was not illegal like doctors could actually just grab a piece of tissue that was considered to be just trash and then they're like hey, actually it's not trash i'll just do some experiments which is another reminder of just because something is legal doesn't mean it's right um and at the time yeah like this procedure was done in a so-called ethical way by the standards of the time although of course standards of the time she was a black woman yeah i think she was working class or poor so that added to to the disadvantages in relation to the the power of hospitals and the autonomy of her own body so yeah it's a pretty fucked up story well i think the thing that makes it bad that's really important to highlight is the way the u.s medical system works because you know like money is what plays an important role here which is that then her descendants can't afford the medicine that their dna helped discover exactly and you know perhaps if we had a fairer society or or people were living in a fairer society these things wouldn't be as bad obviously consent is really key but like you have to look at the context of what's happening which is then you can't afford medical treatments you know your dna is the most readily available in the world but you're not seeing any of those benefits coming to you well and in a very fucked up way this is just another instance of uh, the u.s exploiting the black body for its power and benefit like quite literally down to the cell and it's again this is still happening, obviously, but even in this case, it's still pretty much alive and well. Yeah, and I think that's the thing to really think about with being asked to provide DNA to any of these companies who are using kind of emotionally persuasive language around giving this up for, for research benefits, because as we're going to mention shortly, there are a number of cases where what has seen like you're giving your DNA for medical research is then used for other kinds of research. Well, and and there's the the marketed. I mean, I really don't know how this is marketed, um, depending on on the audience. But I know, for example, for more lefty audiences in the states, I know a lot of DNA and ancestry kits are basically marketed as like, if you only knew that you have relatives in somewhere in Africa, you would be less racist. You know, we're all one race, or like discover where your family comes from. You're, a, you know, a child of the global phenomenon. But like, I don't know, it's it's still very weird for me to have those marketing stories attached to your DNA. It just seems to me that's just like reinforcing the value of blood overall and yeah. uh, and attaching identity to that. Yeah, I think you you know this, but I feel quite cynical about genealogy tests overall like i don't really like the the i don't really like the idea that 
what your DNA says defines who you are. And I worry that that's the way people treat them. And I know probably not everyone views it like that. Maybe some people, you know, they just say, oh, it's a hundred dollars that I've got to spare and I'm curious. But I see too often people saying like, this is what was in my history. And so that defines me, you know, I've got loads of artists in my background. So, you know, I should be an artist and using it to justify things. And I've been really trying to think about partly why this annoys me. And I was thinking that maybe it's because the UK is still such an aristocratic society. Mm. You know, I still know that there are lords living in castles, living in mansions. Right. That we have a system where, you know, the literal house of lords, not all of it, but a lot of that is inherited positions in government. Mm. And so I think for me, I go, well, if you start to say that who your ancestors were justifies who you are, so you say, well, my ancestors were the lords of this castle, so I should be a lord and we should keep our aristocratic system, you know, is that actually saying that, like, who our families are define us? Does that reinforce this kind of aristocratic class system? Or am I overthinking this? Maybe. No, I, no, I think, I think you, yeah, you're onto something there because... In a time where I think we are going towards a lot more fragmentation, atomization, you know, the individual is at the core, like individualism. The search for identity is, it's strong on this one. And it seems like there's nothing more, quote unquote, real than what your blood says, you know, mm. like that we have all of these stories, just the fact that you brought the Lord's and all of that, that was like capitalism kind of thrives on on us acknowledging there's some people who are worth more than others. And that's sometimes just based on, you know, who they are and what God gave them as their duty or whatever. Kings and queens or geniuses or CEOs. The rich man at his castle, the poor man at his gate. God made them high and low and ordered their estate. That's an old hymn. It, people wow. don't sing that anymore. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, so you know, it, it, if we're in constant search of identities, um, I think this one is one that's, that's there, kind of fulfilling that role of storytelling, of grounding ourselves. And as we said in the Pride episode, when we are, capitalism also thrives and neoliberalism. I sound like a... Like a college student here but like when these systems thrive on the quote-unquote social organization of forgetting you know forget your history we're still wanting to call back and know where we came from not so much culturally but you know i guess blood is an easy thing you can just spit on something and then they'll tell you instead of you know studying history and culture and stuff like that but i digress no, I think there's, I want to bring up like two things that you said there, because I think it's really interesting that point about science that, you know, if we can say this is scientific, then it feels exactly like more real. Well, this time round, we can be sure of things because we're only basing it on science. So we can get rid of, you know, whatever prejudice is about who we are. We can claim that this is something scientific, but that's just kind of messing with things because there's how much nurture is involved in our family histories anyway you know are you a family of artists not because mm -hmm. art is in your blood but because your family has a history of nurturing artistic talent and passed on that interest 
I'm not sure that it's that simple. And also, like what we said in the Pride episode, is like, what if your family is your chosen family? And when I think of ancestors or like people, the elders or whatever, whoever came before us, I often include queer people that are in no way related to me, but that I consider foundational to a culture, the movement, or the movements in plural, you know, that probably have had more influence in my current life than some random great-grandfather that I never met. That's the thing, like, I don't... I understand completely people being interested in family history. And as you said, we all want to know ourselves. I know that there was a time when I was really interested in Myers-Briggs tests, and those have since been one of those things that I've had to accept is... The astrology for the business people. Yes, super dubious. And I was like so relieved when I found that out because I was just going, I've never really felt like I'm an introvert or an extrovert. And oh, wait, nope, that's just one of those other binaries that were created to help us feel like we can assign boxes to ourselves. But that's the thing, like, I'm not mad about that because it is interesting. It's like you get something out of it, like an astrology test that says these things are like you. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you've understood yourself a little bit more as a result. Or you can also use them as tools to communicate. Um, When someone posts on social media, like, the bossy Capricorn, and you're like, yeah. You know, that's in a way that's kind of like signaling whether, you know, if it's jokingly or not to your group a virtue about yourself or something that you like or something that's like I think that's a little bit annoying but you share this with a group of people who also have these beautiful qualities so I don't know sometimes I approach like you said astrology in a similar way it's like okay what what role is it fulfilling and it sometimes it's one of communication one of like belonging one of like let's talk about these quirky things that are not seen as nice in society but let's just accept them and this is really cute accept them as a character trait right you know if someone is very introvert or whatever introverted it's a trait it's not a character flaw and i don't know it's just mechanisms of communicating about the self that yeah yeah bringing it back to to dna another thing i don't know if you've scene is that they also want to sell it as a way to see how prone you are to certain illnesses and diseases and stuff like that yes which is another selling point of that although i've heard that it is kind of um i don't know these companies are not the best at predicting that because the samples that they take are too small and often even with ancestry if you take two tests like five years apart you'll have different results because the databases in five years have been refined so it is strange um there was also that case the theranos or thanos no thanos that's a different <laughs> <laughs> that's avengers <laughs> uh, well thanos is also around um no but theranos the whole thing the huge scam that had to do with you know quantifying the body in a very cheap way i don't think i know about this tell me more what i know is that it was like the fire festival of dna testing or like blood testing let's do what podcasts do very quick wikipedia search on this so 
According to Wikipedia, Theranos was a privately held technology corporation, initially touted as a breakthrough technology company, but subsequently infamous for its false claims to have devised blood tests that only needed very small amounts of blood. So apparently this was going to like revolutionize the way we do blood tests in terms of like diagnosis and stuff. Ended up being the biggest, one of the most recent biggest scams in the tech sector. And not only that, like the CEO was a woman that was like regarded as this genius person and just went out with a bang. Let's just say that it was bad. Uh, but again, yeah. it was like the mix of tech, health, blood, diagnosis, cheap, efficient, fast. Yeah. And just to kind of like tie it back to DNA and stuff like that. One of the growing concerns is that when you have entire databases of people who are more prone to or labeled as being more prone to having some diseases and these databases are private, you can then, for example, if you're an, a corporation, evil or not, you sell that database to, say, an insurance company. And then all of a sudden you, I can tell, oh, Ruth is more prone to develop fairy wings. So I will not give her a common rate for the insurance because, you know, then I'll have to be paying for fairy massage, you know, like... And this is just, you know, without proper protections about the data and who can use it. This is just bound to happen because it's very profitable. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's especially bad if you have a healthcare system that is based on insurance rather than a national health system. Well, I mean, the government can also have access to these databases and it's, in some ways is. Again, we're not Luddites here, so in some ways it's really good to have data about who your population is. But number two, who is taking these tests is not a representative sample of your population. So it's kind of hard to make broad policy based on this. Number two, it's also very dangerous because we know that it's either the very privileged who are getting these tests or, for example, in the case of the states, there being uh, news coming out that uh, and border patrols are taking DNA samples of the people who cross the border without papers. So all of a sudden you have this other data set and it's also been um, published that a lot of AI algorithms are being on facial recognition and on voice too, are being trained with uh, info from visa applicants. Wow. So you're welcome, US. You have my face. Way to make your facial recognition algorithm more diverse. <laughs> yeah. No, I was reading that like a lot of the big research databases that um, DNA research is done on are overwhelmingly full of people from European descent. So all of that research that's being done, like medical or otherwise, is being done on a biased sample size. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that came out recently was this is exactly the case of medical research databases being used for something completely not medical research was a guy called David Banks who wanted to see if our DNA can predict how much money we will earn. Oh god. It's definitely not medical and he was using a database that was specifically supposed to be available for medical researchers to do that work because it's a research database and he was claiming that doing this research would tell us something about inequality because it would tell us if people should be rich when they're not. 
But there's so many flaws with this whole concept, which is trying to assign so much meaning to DNA anyway. And yeah, assigning a very flawed capitalist idea of what worth is. Deciding our DNA can tell us how much money we will earn is really about deciding if our DNA tells us how valuable we are. Yeah, I mean, and at the same time, it's like trying to justify through pseudoscience the inequalities that we enact and reproduce in our systems, right? Like, of course, if you have, if you overly incarcerate a group of people, say like black people in the States, indigenous people here, brown people, and then you use that database to train the algorithm to tell you who's more likely to commit criminal behavior, aka predictive policing, (laughs) DNA-based, then you're only basically just trying to pseudoscience your oppression, which is not... Number one, it's not science. If it was proper science, you would take into account, you know, the social considerations and, and factors in this. But it's just, I don't know, it's a big scam, sham. And the sad part is that people fall for it, and I really don't care if people fall for it, but policies are made based on this, so that's where weaponized ignorance kind of, or weaponized pseudoscience really has its impact. Yeah, I think that's that's what I was saying right at the start, is there is this really strong idea that if we just get technology advanced enough, we can answer all of those questions and understand people. It's sort of why we go back to these 1800s things that people discredited, that you can tell who someone is from the shape of their face, and then we're like, oh, well, now we have facial recognition software, so we can understand that. Or, well, now our DNA testing is like really good, so and we have great computers that can do really advanced programming and algorithms, and so we'll be able to, this time, find out if DNA tells us how valuable we are as human beings. As though if we just have more advanced technology, these concepts won't actually be deeply flawed. But it's the very fact that we're obsessed with trying to define people in these ways that is problematic. It's not that we don't have the right tech to do that. Yeah, I think you nail it right there. And, you know, the obvious questions kind of follow. Like, why is money a sign of value in terms of personal value? You know, why plod? It all goes down to, it's almost like another iteration of the systems of white supremacy and and capitalism that we live in so are there good parts to this whole dna sequencing and stuff of course again i i cannot stress enough how this is not a the intersection of luddites podcast i think um our whole point is kind of to try to invite people to like be a little bit more curious about pros cons and how like yes you can have really awesome stuff but it you doesn't have to come at the price of your loss of, of privacy, autonomy, your own body. It's different realities are possible. But to make them possible, we first need to understand the implications of this current one. So this is what we're trying to do, people. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and people, you know, people are submitting DNA for medical research, con- like with consent, with awareness. Mm-hmm in the right circumstances that aren't always just about giving to corporates. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, you have to really think about it and be smart about the decisions that you're making. Yeah. And also, I mean, in, in the kind of like a tangential uh, note here and a callback to our, was it the health episode? 
we keep on saying, like, no matter how so-called advanced, quote-unquote, our science is, we keep on seeing disgusting decisions being made in the name of science. In the health episode, we mentioned Castor Semenya, this runner who um, had been, for years, had been accused of not being, like, quote-unquote, a real woman due to, like, high levels of testosterone. And as we're recording, only a couple weeks back, it just came out that the ruling body of her sport, she's a runner again, determined that she needs to take hormones to suppress the level of testosterone in her, which she naturally produces, um, as we all do, in order to kind of, quote-unquote, fairly compete with other women in the sport. So again, you have a body who makes policy determining what a real woman is. And it, again, as very brilliant writers have said out there, it should be no coincidence that Castor Semenya, it's, uh, she's a, a woman, a black woman, and a gay woman. She has a wife. And yeah, and only the last week I saw that due to this new ruling about testosterone levels, which again, completely biased, Doctors and, and researchers, researchers in gender basically say that there is no correlation between, quote-unquote, being a woman and having those levels of testosterone. Like, it's just, it varies so much. There are so many other factors that can influence that. And the last couple weeks, um, I think two other runners, both from Africa, both black women, have had to drop out due to this new wow. ruling. Um, so very quickly, it just becomes like, huh, this is not about who's a real woman. It's about being whether black women are real women and allowed to compete. So again, the implications of pseudoscience are having very real impacts everywhere. Sport is just one of the most visible ones. I, I think we could follow on by talking about that Gaydar case. The case of some researchers who said that they had developed some facial recognition software that could tell if you were lesbian or gay, specifically because they didn't consider bisexuality as existing in their study, by the shape of your face. These guys, the people who developed this algorithm, were touted as, like, the geniuses from Stanford when they came up with this. It's just, they're like little rock stars in their own, like, data science field. But yeah, they came up with this, basically trying to come up with an algorithm that just will tell you whether you're gay or not. Yeah. I found it so funny that as part of the things that they looked at, they considered hairstyle. I'm just like, that's, that's just fashion. Like, congratulations, you noticed queer fashion. Yeah. Also, it was, um, I mean... Listeners, the study, shocker, was debunked very quickly. But, of course, the headlines about the discovery of this new form of doing algorithmic inferences um, were bigger than the headlines that said that this was debunked. The algorithm was also super racist. Because they he only did the research on, on white faces. Yeah. But it's interesting that it got published in the first place. You know, it passed peer review. Oh, man. Peer review has its own things. Like... There's there's groups uh, now that like just publish bullshit papers just to prove that peer review is like not dead, but because it's controlled by a lot of like university publishers, 
And it also depends on a lot of free labor from either profs. Like, they don't pay you for peer review. I mean, it's probably part of your hours, but like, in at least in North America, with the the trend of going away from tenure prof- track positions into just like contractor instructors, I don't know. It's just a nasty. That's a, we're we're deviating from the theme here, but it's pretty nasty. It's not as it's not as awesome as as people want to pretend it is. It's still good. It's still very valuable. Don't don't let me trash on this, but just note of caution. But. I think the the fear is that people will take this thing seriously. In some ways, it doesn't matter if it's right or not. I mean, as in if it's correct research. What matters is if people think it's correct and then feel that can be used. Like There are so many governments that, you know, well, like, look at Brunei, which was going to, until like a week ago, stone people for being gay. You know, this kind of technology doesn't matter if it's correct or not, if you can sell it. And then you have uh, companies saying that um, it's their moral duty to give these databases and these algorithms to government, which again, lands us into the whole question of, okay, what's moral? And I wish philosophy was not just full of like white bros, (laughs) because I think we need a lot of philosophical and like... Humanities and humanities and social sciences thinking in this technology field, but more on that rant later. No, I agree. I agree. If we're gonna jump back to DNA again, yeah, I wondered what do you, what do you think about the whole the Golden State Killer being caught through DNA matching and databases, because. So the story is that they had DNA samples from the killer and they uploaded this crime scene DNA onto an open source DNA database matching site and found a match with a relative of the killer and then they basically used, you know, all the rest of the um, circumstantial evidence, time period, who could be in the right place at the right time, eventually found someone that they thought seemed likely, staked them out... They discarded something, tested that, found them. I can at least say it was some smart thinking (laughs) that got them there. Mm -hmm. And what has happened as a consequence, though, is that other DNA companies, so one company called Family Tree DNA, have done an advertising campaign called Families Want Answers, asking people to share their DNA in order to find killers or uh, missing people and they've used like real victims in their campaign with the backing of people who are families of like murder victims to say this is like you can help solve a crime and i i also heard some people saying like is this actually what podcasting has done because of all the interest in like true crime podcasts this idea that you could be part of solving like a, a great unsolved mystery like really appeals to people and they use this line about there's real moral responsibility. Like it's it's a choice, but you should make it to save lives, to catch criminals. And I have to admit, I I find there's something persuasive in that because if you flip, if you ask that reverse question and you say like, oh well, do you think the killer should have gone away with it? Then of course my answer is no. So, but I really really don't like how I said this before about Alexa actually. We have this idea that once something can be used to solve crime, then 
all objections to it need to be thrown out the window. And we keep, I feel like, getting caught in that trap, which is exactly we're like on philosophy of like the greatest good for the greatest number. If it can be used for good, then your personal objections need to be thrown out the window. And it's just, it's really hard, I think, to hold both of those opinions at the same time. You know, the opinion that personal autonomy and our privacy and our consent are all really, really important values. And then this kind of like, well, you know, this was a serial rapist and murderer. So, of course, I also hold the opinion that people should not get away with that. A few thoughts about that. Like, for example, yeah, I remember what you said about the Alexa thing. It's like the second one technology is used to re to fix or to solve one crime, all of a sudden it's going to be... You know, it's 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 okay. It's gonna be stamped as as good. I mean, we both work in communications. We know or should remember that when one case is being marketed, because this is marketing. It's it is like police. It's very it, smart marketing. It is very smart. Police and legal systems choose what information to put out. So we know of one case that was solved. We don't know of the 122 cases where they tried the same fucking thing, and caught a wrong person or like a or like charged the person that was not guilty you know just because we know one one case worked that doesn't mean that's not data that's an anecdote so that's yeah. one very an important thing to consider for us that um nowadays and it has always been the case uh, but nowadays we need to remember that every piece of information that we get even if it's through twitter directly from the source or whatever, it's still an act of marketing. You can call it propaganda, you can call it communications, but that it's a choice. So that's one thing, right? Who benefits from that? Well, um, legal systems who want your DNA and your database accessible, governments, companies obviously are going to say yes, because, you know, that's that's how they make their money selling your data. So, so that's one thing, not to say that that's not important, not to say that it is not a resourceful tool, it's just, just be very cautious of that, right? It's not the oracle that everybody all of a sudden should look to for answers in crime. That's the key thing, that's, that's my, my core skeptic or skepticism. Um, it's just derived from that, from knowing how communication departments work and uh, and who benefits from this is it's almost like I don't know it's brilliant it's really good marketing congratulations to them it is wrong and I don't I don't truly believe it um, another thing that I this reminds me of is um, it almost makes it seem like there was no other way to solve this crime but this was the key factor Maybe for this one crime it was the case, I still don't believe it. Um, here in Canada, we're currently having, well, we had um, a case in Toronto. There was a serial killer who targeted uh, gay men. A lot of them closeted and a lot of them, I don't know, just determined either by the killer or by society to be people who, to quote, I think, what's his name? Uh, Anthony Meacupa on Twitter, that guy that we met once. He's pretty big on, on Twitter. He said something like, the, the killer targeted this man because he knew that no one would look for them. And there's a podcast, I don't, know if, I don't know if he's the one running it, that I know that 
looks at the investigation because police now said like there's no way a serial killer starts in his 70s there has to be more cases turns out like police for for a long time had a lot of information that they decided not to act on or follow protocol or had a lot of blind spots so again i'm wondering like was this dna case a similar thing like you already had a lot of evidence you've just been negligent about it and this just made a tiny difference and give you a media hit it's fantastic so again tldr beware of the pr around this no it's a really good point i mean i I don't know in this case, because it was such an old case, you know, it's one of those things of like, they never found the person and this being like historical, that they were like, at last, we seem to have some way of doing it. But I think you are making a really, really strong point about one story isn't data. Yeah. And at the same time, for example, like I'm thinking, I don't know if this is happening, I should do some research, but like... Uh, we have countries like Mexico, where there are hundreds of thousands of people who have quote-unquote disappeared, um, have been killed during the, the what they call the drug wars. Or, and there's a lot of people who don't know where their family members are. A lot of them were just, like the stories you hear, they were just like walking to school and they got picked up, you know? And you're like, okay, if DNA, and then people go and find like clandestine burial places or like trenches where they just dump bodies and it's really hard to id people like it is not as easy as just spitting in in a little tube um it is really hard so again we have to think about who's benefiting from pushing this these messages because i would assume that if it was that easy we would have a lot more answers around genocide and other cases not just about this mythical one serial killer. Do you have anything else that you wanted to say on this topic? No, I think we just had the, the thing about the new phrenology that's not phrenology. Like facial recognition. How do you call the, the thing about deriving mini from face shape besides racist? Physiognomy. There you go. Yeah, if you want to know your 1800s Swedo science, the uh, physiognomy is the uh, the idea you can tell someone's personality from the shape of their face and phrenology is the idea that you can tell someone's character by the shape of their head the whole head yeah both of which are complete bullshit by the way imagine a world where tinder matches your face shape with other face shapes that are more likely blah 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 and then based on your dna you create babies that are i don't know more symmetrical <laughs> yeah less I li feel like less likely to have x disease i don't know i i feel like this is a little bit black mirrory but like not far from from reality and which i don't know makes me think a lot about designer babies which has been a, a topic for a long time from um eugenics and shit like that but it's always very scary for me to see it come up again and again, uh, dressed in in tech. I don't know. It's just it's going back to that thing of like why is bloodline so important? I do see it in the queer community sometimes. I was like, oh god, why is bloodline so important? We're supposed to be well, not supposed to be, but I'm expecting us to be a little bit more critical about this. Yet we live in this system, so we're surrounded by these values. But yeah, 
Do you want to just quickly say what eugenics is, in case anyone? Um, ooh, isn't it like the the pseudoscience that's saying that you that there is a an ideal human number one that you can quantify and like Frankenstein together design a society and this again if this sounds Nazi white supremacist is because it is and it comes from the the idea that there's a superior type of human and you can design towards it either by breeding certain people a certain way or not allowing some people to have kids um, this is not only white supremacist Germany it's also the states had a lot of that um, against the black population Canada had it against indigenous people, either like literally committing genocide, uh, killing kids or like making, destroying their lives or sterilizing women so they could not have babies or sterilizing people that were considered to have mental disabilities, other kinds of disabilities, physical, um, and just removing their agency because they were not considered to be good for society. Yeah, and unfortunately... Feminism has been pretty tied up in that in the past. I mean, it's birth control has been really, really great for women, but in fact, some of the early birth control advocates were funded and supported by eugenicists when they couldn't get the support from anywhere else. And uh, there's a lot of, yeah, a very interesting story there about Margaret Sanger, who was one of the like the foremost proponents of birth control, but that was who she ended up partnering with along the way. So, you know, because, well, if we can have birth control, who do we want to stop having, giving birth? So yeah. and, and the term itself, eugenics, refers to, like, genes. It's like, according to this Wikipedia thing, it says, like, comes from Greek, eugenies, which is, like, well-born. Or, like, comes from good, well, and genos, which is race, stock, kin. So it's, like, the proper kin, the good race it is so fucked up you people so so yeah there's some blech feminist it's interesting how like it's a very quick side note that i don't know if it's gonna make it but like we at this precise moment that people say like oh times are so polarized and stuff a binary that i find is either like complete good or complete evil and it's kind of hard to reconcile in our brains how like feminist stuff came or not all of it but a part of it, which is like the thing that led to like birth control and stuff, had a hand from racist policies. So it's it's just I don't know, interesting. That's it's so sad. But let's just turn it around and say that from racist policies, at least we managed to get something. So let's destroy racist po policies. The end. Is there anything else, Ruth, that we need to talk about about DNA ancestry? and uh, family history and medical shit and face recognition and I mean there's so much there is so much I feel like we've covered most of the things that I wanted to talk about I think I'm probably not done with the whole question about genealogy and I'm still thinking about like people being interested in family history and in understanding themselves and that not necessarily you know, I don't want to think of that as being something that's unhealthy and negative. I just think I'm very wary and cautious of where that goes and how much importance we place on it. I want it to be something that we think is interesting and that we're curious about 
and we do want to know more about history and about culture and places that we live and all of that, but not reach the point where it becomes some kind of astrological chart that you place out and go, well, this is my family tree and this is my DNA sequencing chart. And from these things, I can define who I am and who my children will be. I mean, to echo that again, just inviting people to be curious about other things that could have influenced their, their histories and complement your search. Don't leave it all up to your genes and your blood. Learn history, learn the cultures. Again, maybe, maybe there was like a huge, nice queer movement where your family was from and that will never show up in your genes, but like you will have to look for it and... My entire life just goes back to gay all the time, so. <laughs> um, as it should be. I really agree with what you said about found family. I, I've been thinking about how part of why... About what? Fan family? Chosen family. Found family. Found family. I was like, fan? I'm like, no. Yeah, I was thinking about found family and how, like, personally, I have a really small family of people who are directly related to me. And so... I love all the people that we brought into our family through friendship, like my parents' family friends, and then my friends, and I see a lot of my friends as being family. And I find that really meaningful. And I think that's also part of it, is that I don't define myself by the people that I've never met, or I feel like I I just don't feel that connection. But I feel a really strong connection to the people who are in my life, who've chosen to be there, and that's where I'd rather assign meaning value importance too plus one all right so we are reaching the end of our episode and uh this has been really fun so ruth besides the thing that you just said <laughs> is there any one thing about dna um, and tech that you would like to take with you today okay i'm gonna have just one thing yes. which is the, the point that you made about one story is not data i love it I'm going to use that next time someone brings one of these stories at me and tells me, well, throw away your consent issues now because I've got a story. Mm. Like, nope, I have Marianella's wisdom. <laughs> it's not only it's not only mine. That's uh, PR and marketing at play. But anyways, thank you. What am I taking? I think I, I will take this one thing that you said, um, which is related. The thing that it's important to see how for a lot of these technologies, it almost doesn't matter if they are correct as long as people believe them. And I think that was a very important point to be, to always have it like put it in a post it note in the back of your brain because that's where power kind of, I don't know, makes itself felt, right? It doesn't matter if the thing is right as long as people think it's right or as long as people think it's scientifically correct. Um, it's almost like justifies a lot of terrible, awful decisions. So we have to be very careful with our blind trust in in this. So yeah, people, just be curious. Just actually ask yourself, who's benefiting a lot from this? And take it from there. On this beautiful note, yeah, I think this has been an episode of The Intersection of Things. So thank you so much, listeners, people. And Ruth, thank you for spending your Sunday evening um, from London with love. As always, thank you for joining me on your lunchtime in Vancouver. <laughs> You're welcome. Our music is by 
David Mark Hucklesby. And our Twitter is at Things Intersect. And your Twitter is at Nessient, N-E-S-I-E-N-T. And mine is at Undazed and Such. And only communicate through GIFs. Um, <laughs> nobody has done that, so. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. There's some really cool stuff happening uh, in the near future. Some interesting collabs. We cannot wait to tell you more about this, but we have to wait. Yes. Exciting noises. Exciting noises. But for now, that's it from us. Have a beautiful start of the summer or summer. And uh, and yeah, take care. Don't spit in vessels. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.